CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It is what is Friday, January 13th, 2023. Uh, and before I bring on my distinguished guest, I'm going to read you a headline. It's breaking news as I speak. And I got to say, uh, I am only aware of this issue because of a text my distinguished guest sent to me about an hour or so ago. And and people, you have to understand, I am in a very strange position right now following obsessively local politics and national politics. And for the last 24 hours, I've been in the local political uh, balloon uh, where I've just been absolutely obsessing over Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, <laughs> it's... it's um, uh, her campaign sending out an email uh, to teachers saying that students could get extra credit if they work for Lori Lightfoot's campaign. Uh, like it's so bizarre. I just on so many levels, I can't. So I, <laughs> I was utterly obsessed with that. I momentarily dropped my guard. It was not obsessively following national politics, and I completely missed this cycle having to do with gas stoves. And I sort of awoke from uh, <laughs> my Chicago dream and discovered that there's a raging debate, which will probably be long forgotten by, I don't know, a week or so over gas stoves. Here's a headline from Fox News, which seems to be especially intrigued by this debate. AOC fires back at Republican meltdown over gas stoves. This is very concerning science. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry the world as we know it is about to end ladies and gentlemen there was a story in the new york times yesterday uh that of course got no traction about how exxon scientists knew like 30 years ago they were tracking uh global warming and the scientists the brains the scientific brains at exxon knew that global warming was a very real thing. Climate change was a very real thing created by their own industry. Meanwhile, the people who led Exxon were mocking and maligning environmentalists who were warning 
uh, about global warming. So, like, this is a real thing, but instead we're going to rant and rave and go nuts over gas stoves. We will do absolutely anything as a people, as a, a species, to avoid uh, engaging the real serious problems that confront us. Instead, we will talk about gas stoves. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and then we're going to get into gas stoves as a starter. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be back. I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University right here in Chicago. Uh, contributing writer to The Week and Newsweek and Slate. And uh, I'm excited to dive into all of, the, all of the weirdness that has happened since the last time we talked. So, yes, plenty of weirdness uh, since the last time we talked in the year 2022, which seems sane compared to... <laughs> <laughs> so 2023 is cons uh, already consisted of the uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, debacle, which we will get to. Uh, and uh, but I you sent me a text at about three uh, thirty today and it said uh, it's from New York Times Pitchbot, which is very funny. It was mocks the New York Times with these uh, headlines. Source, Ron DeSantis to fly 300 gas stoves to Martha's Vineyard. And I must confess, I had no idea <laughs> what this happened. I'm like, what? It is this? And so then I, I'm like, this is called research in the Ben Jarofsky show. I spent 20 minutes doing a deep dive uh, on everything I'd missed because I'm following Chicago politics so obsessively. Uh, so help us enlighten us, uh, David, what this quote debate unquote, uh, is all is, is about and what it says about where we are politically, uh, in America today. Take it away. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm now imagining showing a tweet to someone who's not like terminally online, um, and, and just trying, just trying to make sense of it. Uh, the, the guest of discourse. <laughs> This sounds kind of ridiculous. Uh, there was, there's been some studies out recently that that um, show that there's some kind of an association between uh, using a gas stove in your house and childhood asthma. Um, some some people claiming as many as twelve, as, as much as twelve or thirteen percent of childhood asthma cases can be traceable back to a family using a gas stove in their house. Now, like any science, it's you know it's going to be disputed. Um, I think it's probably, it's probably pretty hard to make the case that it's like super duper healthy to breathe air together with a gas stove going on. Right. Um, but, uh, it, it's taking off because, um, the, the Biden administration, uh, was, was proposing a rule, um, to, to ban the manufacture of new gas stoves. Right. Um, and through the, you know, the, the whisper down the, the the land effect of politics today. Republicans took that as like we're coming for their stoves. You know what I mean? Um, like we're coming. Like AOC is is going to bust down your door and take your gas stove from your from your cold dead hands or whatever. Right? Uh, it's always this discourse, right? It's like the left wants to take stuff from us. You know, they will come into our house and knock down our door with a hatchet and take our gas stove away from us while our children wail and we hear the lamentations of our women. It's like. Uh, no, no one's coming for your gas stove. You already have a gas stove. No one's coming for it. This rule's never going to go into effect anyway. Okay, I'm sorry. It's just not. Um, because it's like, uh, it's, something's going to have to go through Joe Manchin. If, if something has to go through Joe Manchin uh, that has anything to do with like fossil fuels, it's it's DOA. Okay. Uh, Joe Manchin has already tweeted, like, this is a bad idea. We can't take people's gas stoves away from them. Uh, Ron DeSantis is tweeting the, the don't tread on me flag with a gas stove. Um, before you know it, people are going to be like, we're right-wingers going to be coming through D.C. 
with like Confederate flag uh, gas stoves strapped to the back of their trucks being like, give me your children libs. I'm going to poison their lung. You know, it's like um, everyone has just lost their minds over this. Uh, and it's all happened in the last 72 hours, mostly on Twitter, of course. So if, you don't, if you're not on Twitter, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's, that, you just keep at it. You know, you're much better off not knowing anything about, anything about this. Um, so when, actually, actually, I've been seeing stuff about this for a couple of years, actually, um, where sort of lefty uh, activists, including uh, you know, activist journalists like uh, Matt Brunig is, is really into this topic. Um, and, you know, I, I, there's a movement on the left to try to get people to switch to electric induction stoves and, and to cap your gas line in your kitchen and then uh, switch to, um, you know, they have these contactless water heaters now instead of uh, instead of the gas water heaters. Um, and when you think about it, it is all a little bit nuts when you think about it. But if you step back, you're like, okay, like 50 years ago, everyone decided that in our homes, we would be we would have a permanent fire lit in the basement, um, keeping 50 gallons of water hot at all times. Um, and that is, frankly, no longer necessary, right? There, there are things you can do to get away from that system. The problem with this whole discourse <laughs> is that, like, it costs, I don't know, probably five or $6,000 to retrofit your house to do all this stuff. Um, and most people simply do not have five or six grand lying around to, to switch to an induction electric stove. Um, and anybody over the age of, like, 30 associates electric stoves with those horrible, you know, uh, tinny little circular, they look like galaxies, you know, and they heat up. Yes, I know. <laughs> And so yeah. when, I, when I first started seeing this discourse, I was like, over my, over my dead body, am I getting an electric <laughs> stove? Um, yeah. I love the, I'm sorry. I do love the sound of the, you know, the click, click, click. And then the, whoosh, the gas yeah. comes on. <laughs> Call me old fashioned then. Um, <laughs> but they say, you know, there's, there's people out there making pretty convincing cases that there's these new, um, new, new types of electric stoves that are just as good as a gas stove. Um, and so if somebody wants to put six grand in my pocket, I'd be happy to switch out on all the gas stuff in my house, but it's, it's probably not going to happen. And uh, like anything based on scientific research um, that, that calls into question our reliance on fossil fuels, the right is having just a complete freak out over this, you know, um, apart from the, you know, the weird paranoia that we're going to pry their stoves from them. <laughs> they just aren't open to the idea um, that something that we do and take for granted routinely might not be good for us. Um, I think on the left, people might be, perhaps exaggerating the harm of this a tad. Um, so it's just, you know, we're all backed into the same stupid corner. Um, and uh, I don't know what to tell you. About an hour, I'm going to go up and fire up my gas stove and cook my kids. That's <laughs> like, I don't really have a choice. So, <laughs> well, I, not, not to go too far afield of this, I, uh, I actually have a moment of mini panic with a gas stove. Uh, here's true confessions. I hate the little, I'm always like, the whole thing's blowing up. That's yeah. it. That ch -ch -ch -ch. And, and sometimes my gas stove starts making that ch -ch 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 sound when I'm not turning it on. I'm like, what's going? Ch -ch -ch -ch. So I, I, I yes. So I, I mean, I, I could do a, like a whole show, I guess, on gas stoves. But I um, no. The, the larger uh, point politically is how uh, any issue is immediately uh, shaped to fit whatever political narratives each side has. Uh, and I began with the, the comment about the, the Exxon, uh, the story about Exxon scientists knowing that global warming was a real thing. Yeah. Uh, well, the people who run Exxon were saying it's not, 
Um, I began with that to say, this is one of my favorite themes, that there's no, there's nobody, there's no attempt in in this uh, hyper uh, partisan era to like put your the best brains on a problem. And I I, I feel old fashioned and baby boomer esque just even saying that. Uh, I remember when the uh, uh, Dr. Feynman, this is years ago, was on the uh, the team that was um, studying why Challenger blew up, and and void of politics, he put his Im- huge brain on the problem of what happened, and he figured out exactly why. He did an experiment on TV t- that showed uh, what happened, and there's nothing remotely like that in America today. I could think of. Uh, global warming. I could think of COVID uh, and now gas stoves. You know, like, just let's think about this. Maybe it is a good idea to wean us of gas stoves. Maybe it would be a good public expenditure to subsidize American households so that they move from gas stoves to electric stoves, just like we're subsidizing electric car industry. So we move from gas cars to electric cars, making a gazillionaire out of Elon Musk while we do that. And then he uses that money to to support candidates who are against the very industry that's making him a gazillionaire. So it's like, I don't know how we as a civilization will progress, David, uh, if absolutely everything gets channeled uh, into this very bizarre Fox TV world of reaction uh, where it's just a knee-jerk yeah. uh, reaction. That's to me, is the, the greater point. Your, your I think it's, you know, there's a couple things here, right? But one, anything that... that any big change that requires individuals to, to like alter their behavior in some way or alter something that they take for granted or, or do routinely is going to, is going to receive some pushback. You know, I just, just, just human nature. I think but like people, uh, people over the age of 50, 40, 50 are going to have a hard time thinking about a world without gas stations as we know them, you know? Um, and I think pe- particularly the older generations, I think they have a hard time, Sort of stepping back and 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 realizing, okay, so there's some things that we did. It was not like it wasn't like malicious on the part of individuals, right? But some things that we, some of the ways that we live, may be harming the planet. Right? Some of the things that we do may be unhealthy. Um, with gas stoves, I think there's been um, since COVID, there's been a, a a focus on the quality of indoor air um, that I don't think anybody was thinking about before COVID. You know. Um, and I think a lot of the people in the public health community would probably like us to stop arguing about masks and start and start um, lobbying our elected officials to mandate uh, certain kinds of ventilation and indoor, indoor air quality for our shared indoor spaces. Um, that's just something people are much more aware of since COVID. Um, we're all aware that we're just meat sacks breathing on each other, you know, and um, and and we want our indoor air to be cleaner. It would probably prevent all, all, all sorts of transmission of respiratory viruses if we invested in cleaner air. And so I, th- I think of the gas stove discourse as an, as an extension of people uh, taking a fresh look at, um, at what they're breathing, <laughs> to, for, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, and I think people can get a little bit obsessive about that. You know, um, I see people on Twitter referring to being in a room with someone as um, raw dogging someone's lung air, you know, like that kind of stuff. It's like, look, we don't, you want to be with other people ever. You're going to have to breathe air with them. So I don't know what to tell you about that. Um, but, uh, 
but yeah, I, I think it's good. I think it's good in the in a broader sense for us to think about how we can be healthier um, when when the emergency phase of COVID is over. Um, how, uh, how can we how can we uh, be indoors together more safely? Transmit fewer diseases to one another. Um, that that to me all seems great, right? But it's like, as you noted, you can't drop any scientific research in this country without it immediately polarizing people. Um, I think if the challenger happened today. And, and NASA was like, yeah, we're going to do, do away with the space shuttle program. Everyone on the right would flip out. Be like, from my cold head dead, uh, dead hands, you've taken my space shuttle away from me. Space shuttle is America. America is the space shuttle. It runs on jet fuel, right? So it's good. We like, we like space shuttle. Like, people would flip out about it. Um, and it's like, look, science is messy, right? The, there's people claiming 13% of childhood asthma cases are traceable to gas stoves. There's going to be other people saying it's not. You know, why don't we just let the, you know, why don't we just like, kind of let the science community come to a consensus on this, you know, figure out who's being paid by the gas industry, <laughs> yeah, figure out who's being paid by the electric yeah. industry, and then sort it out. Or we're not going to sort it out today. You're not going to replace 100 billion gas stoves tomorrow morning. Um, so everybody just take a deep breath. It's like not, it's not the end of the world for someone on, uh, to be like, maybe we should switch to this other thing. <laughs> you know, it's just not, that, it's not the end of the world. Well, it's, it's a very convenient tool. Uh, when we'll move on to the next topic, but it's always a very continu- uh, convenient tool to to rile people up. Uh, and to your point, that something is being taken from them, that they're being mocked. So, like like when AOC says, "Hey, this may not be a bad idea," uh, then oh, you're mocking me, you're making fun of me, you think you're better than me, and then here we go down that rabbit hole. And the next thing you know, Bill Maher is going to make jokes about it, uh, and. Um, so uh, it's it's so bizarre. And by the way, just before I completely move on from this, the New York Times PitchBot headline, they just lacked one aspect. So the headline again was source Ron DeSantis to fly 300 gas stoves to Martha's Vineyard, which, by the way, is not out of the realm of possibility. No, He's probably really going, damn, why I didn't think of it. But then what the New York Times must have, any headline in the New York Times, is a triggering phrase to scare liberals. So uh, voters in Pennsylvania uh, are very concerned or something like that. Uh, because that's ultimately what the New York Times is trying to say. I guarantee you, by, by election time 2024, there's going to be some subgroup of voters that the New York Times is referring to as, like, gas stove moms or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> gas stove mom. Critical gas factor in the presidential election. Gas stove moms. How will gas stove moms vote this year? Oh, God. <laughs> and it's like, they're going to vote for whoever they were going to vote for before. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, gas stove moms. Uh, all right. Uh, so, uh, Kevin McCarthy was elected speaker, took, I think 15 votes. Don't quote me on that. I've lost track after a while. All of this happened since the last time, uh, you were on the show. Uh, you did predict that there would be, it would be a debacle. Um, uh, the, the election of Kevin McCarthy, uh, you point out in an essay you wrote for Newsweek, uh, that Democrats should not take delight. Uh, in the chaos and the confusion and the split uh, in the Republican Party, because ultimately we want Congress to uh, operate. Uh, that's you uh, wearing your good government hat. Uh, and I could, I understand uh, to a certain level uh, what you're getting at. I, on the other hand, was taking tremendous delight in it. Um, and uh, <laughs> it was kind of entertaining. Um, but what should Democrats be doing? And this is, some people have asked me this in, I don't really have a fast answer on this. So they don't have the votes themselves uh, to elect a speaker. All they can do is sort of sit in the sidelines 
and continually uh, vote uh, uh, Democratic while waiting for uh, Kevin McCarthy to do whatever he has to do to round up the Republicans. What would you suggest is a, a strategy the Democrats in Congress should uh, should be employing or should have employed while Republicans are at each other's throats? Yeah. So don't get me wrong. I had more fun watching C-SPAN last week than I've had in years, you know, probably since the McCain thumbs down incident with the, you know, when he torpedoed the the, uh, the Obamacare repeal. That was the greatest day I've ever had on C-SPAN. I'll tell you, I could watch, I, sometimes when I'm, I think I've told this before, sometimes when I'm in a bad mood or I feel like crying, um, I just I just load up the footage of McCain, you know, breaking <laughs> breaking Mitch McConnell's heart uh, and, and destroying 10 years of Republican activism on this. On this. Uh, it's such a great moment. But uh, but yeah, it was, it was highly entertaining. You know, uh, Republicans are in complete disarray. Um, the, the entire country got to see up close and personal how the party's extremists are not just having a negative effect on the country, but are, are throwing their own party into total chaos. Um, you know, Kevin McCarthy, remember we've talked many times about how Chuck Schumer more or less lacks a working majority in the Senate um, before this year because of Manchin and Cinema, And uh, neither Manchin nor Cinema is as bad as any of these lunatics who, who, who uh, forced 15 votes on Kevin McCarthy. Um, but they, but they are going to have a similar dynamic on, on McCarthy trying to get anything done in the house. Um, I'm sure that they'll, they'll all get together and pass like dumb stuff that they know is going to die in the Senate. Um, it's, you know, we did it too. It's just, it's part of the theater of politics. Um, but the thing that, that you have to keep your eye on, I think, I, I think the democratic leaders should be doing, uh, Hakeem Jeffries and his, and his deputies, um, should be constantly looking for five sane people, um, that they can, I guess they need six, they need six sane people that they can work together with to prevent catastrophe. That's what the next two years are about. Um, any any um, policy, legislative dreams that you had <laughs> about coming things coming out of the U.S. Congress to help you in, in your life are not going to happen um, in this Congress. The only thing, the, the best you can hope for from this Congress um, is that the government doesn't get shut down 55 times we don't break the debt limit um, and default on our debt um, and Republicans continue to embarrass themselves. Um, that's the best you can hope for out of this Congress. Um, and the, the way to prevent that is, is you have to, you have to build an informal uh, ongoing alliance with six Republican moderates to be able to pass a budget, to be able to pass a debt ceiling increase. Um, and you can actually do that. They preserve this in their rules package. You can do that with something called a discharge petition which is a, a majority of the House can force um, a piece of legislation to the floor over the over the Speaker's wishes if they if they so desire. Um, and so you're you're all going to become very familiar <laughs> with the concept of the of the discharge petition soon. It didn't happen during the years where Republicans ran the House and Obama was president because Republicans had so many votes in in the House that that we, you couldn't really get around it by a dis, discharge petition. Um, and whether we have the votes to do that. With six whether there are six Republicans who, who, who will do this, really an open question. Um, but it's much more plausible than it was in, say, 2015, when Republicans had like a 40-seat majority in the House, um, and there's there's no way that you could have gotten a discharge petition to the floor, even if you had wanted to. So uh, Democrats need to be making making those out making that outreach, um, crafting those alliances, um, hoping that six Republicans and and Biden districts die or retire, and um, 
retire, just retire. I don't want, we don't want to wish death on anyone, right? But like, we are just a cluster of deaths away from control of the house flipping, right? Um, as we were the, the last two years, too. Um, you know, a member of Congress already has, has, has already died um, in this, like, before the it's, it's, sworn in. Um, oh, there was a, there so was there's a, a vacancy. That's right. There's a vacancy. There's not one. Yes, you're right. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. There was a Democrat in the House who ran, who ran for re-election with super duper terminal cancer. Um, <laughs> like, now that is a failure of party leadership, there, folks. Um, it's like, just what are you doing? Uh, like, what are you doing? Go, go, go to hospice. Spend time with your family. I'm not run, like, but if I get a terminal diagnosis, I'm not running for the House of Representatives. You know what I mean? It's not happening. Anyway, I got that off my chest. Um, but yeah, there's already a dead person in Congress. There's only 434 of them in there right now. So they're going to have to have a special election to fill that seat. I can't, I can't remember without looking it up where it was. I think it was Virginia. It's a safe Democratic seat. It's not like going to be a big deal or anything. But, um, you know, people die in, in, in swing seats and in, in contested seats. Yeah, I have six Republicans die or retire. The gavel goes back to Jeffries. You know, if, if you win the special elections. So um, anyway, <laughs> build alliances, try to prevent chaos, highlight the embarrassing things that can be coming out of this uh, out of this house. You know, one of the things that, that these radicals uh, forced on McCarthy was to give them like give the give the Freedom Caucus, which is like 30 people, a third of the seats, uh, a third of the Republican seats on all these committees. Um, so every committee in the House is going to have like a very large contingent of like frothing at the mouth maniacs like Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Matt Gates, just people who are, who are, if you can't tell that there's something wrong with this person within five minutes, I, 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 I don't trust you. <laughs> you know? Like Matt Gates is obviously crazy. Uh, George Santos, you know, the guy, his name isn't even George Santos, apparently. Um, the, this, this Republican elected in New York whose entire resume is a fraud. And now Republicans have to go out there and be like, well, I mean, like everybody makes stuff up, right? I mean, like, I'm, like nobody's who they say they are, you know? And I'm like, what is this, Batman? You know, like, you, you're not supposed to just make up your resume, folks. That's not normal. So, but he won't resign because there's no shame anymore. Um, so uh, do a lot of media, a lot of ads on on the craziest people in the house. You know, they're going to hold Joe Biden hearings and Hunter Biden laptop hearings and whatever, uh, weaponization of the government hearings. Um, just, just total... Um, deep state, deep state cons- conspiracy thinking uh, has taken over the, the party, and they're going to be out there putting it on full display all the time. So they're going to have to be doing this simultaneous dance, right? Reach out to the moderates, try to try to prevent the worst things from happening, um, highlight uh, Republican zaniness, um, and if, if they can do those things, I, I'm pretty confident the House will flip back in 2024 um, because republicans only have the house right now because new york and california democrats like i don't know went to sleep before the election and, and were terrible at their jobs and that hopefully won't happen again so i'm, I'm rambling well the map in new york is uh will force democrats to work a little harder uh george santos uh is under pressure from republicans in new york to step down so there may be a special election coming up there but i'm going to go back to the the notion of uh winning over six moderates Let's uh, just assume that the basic math stays the same, six moderates. And it's obvious to me uh, that there's no equivalent of a David Axelrod or a Rahm Emanuel in the Republican Party. By that, I mean this, the quintessential Democratic Barack Obama strategy of um, claiming that there is a bipartisanship that exists in this country, a spirit and a need to work together. uh, And that's what Democrats should align themselves with. 
you hear this all the time. It's a prevailing attitude to a large degree among centrist Democrats. I give credit to it to David Axelrod, but I think Barack Obama probably shaped it uh, as much or more. I, I, that, that faction would have already been speaking out. It would, I would say it would be the, like the Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger faction. And all they did was drum them out, literally drum them out. So I, I, I find that, um, a very peculiar, uh, a very peculiar mindset for the Republicans. Like they saw they lost in swings districts here in Illinois. They lost uh, in suburban districts. Lauren Underwood defeated them, and Sean Caston defeated them. They lost across the board. You would think that they would, even if it's just one individual here or one individual there, would say, you know what, for our party. The best decision is to, or at least for my political career, the best decision is to move to the center, move a little left, follow the equivalent of a David Axelrod. I don't see that anywhere. Am I missing something? Is it? Does it exist anywhere in the Republican Party right now? Not, not in the elected version of the Republican Party. You know, I mean, there's just no, there's no self-reflection going on in the Republican Party anymore. You know, every time Democrats lose an election, we we have like this like six month long conversation where we like beat ourselves over the back with a cane, you know, we're like, we're not worthy. We're worthless people. What can we do to be better? How did this happen? I'm so sorry, America. We're the worst. Um, and we all like read books. Remember in 2016, we all read like 15 books, try to figure out what happened. You know, we're like, yeah. oh, so like go read uh, the hillbilly elegy, uh, go read uh, strangers in their own land. Um, Republicans just don't care. They just don't care. Right. They're like, well, we got the house. So screw it. Like, I, you know, I don't have to reflect on anything. We got the power now. Um, and it's like, at the more we learn about this election, the more, I, if I was a Republican strategist, the more disturbed I would be. Um, because what it looks like from all the data that we have so far is that Democratic turnout did in fact collapse, um, as I had predicted for two years when we did nothing for the progressive wing of the party um, and went to sleep for like 15 months before they finally woke up in like August of 2022 and started passing things. Um, and it was too late. To, it was too late to activate our own voters. What happened in this election was Republican turnout was up, Democratic turnout was down, but Republicans voted for Democrats, um, probably because of Roe uh, and Dobbs, but also because of democracy and extremism in the Republican Party. And they can pretend that those voters are going to come back to them in 2024. I'm not sure it's going to happen because neither of those issues is going away. Um, the, the, the issue of abortion is not going away as time goes on. We, everyone's going to hear more stories about, you know, uh, their friends in Texas who couldn't, you know, couldn't get a procedure done during a miscarriage or uh, people who had to fly to another state to get an abortion and they died en route or whatever. Um, people are going to start dying, right? That's all the data is very clear. But what happens when you ban abortion? Uh, you don't actually reduce abortions. You reduce the number of, of women who are alive. Um, and uh, and that's that's only going to get worse from this. Actually, that problem is getting worse and worse and worse for them. Okay. Part A. Part B, a lot of their most lunatic election deniers did, did lose their statewide elections for governor and secretary of state, but they won their elections for Congress. Okay, they sent like a billion election deniers back to the House of Representatives. And if Trump is the nominee and he runs with like, I don't know, crazy, crazy Carrie Lake, <laughs> we can do this nickname thing too, right? Crazy Carrie. Um, he runs with one of these you know, fire-breathing, election-denying uh, uh, people who are uh, having constant hallucinations, um, that issue is going to be front and center in 2024 too. So the two things that turned off Republican voters will be front and center 
And then Democrats are going to come back out because it's a presidential election year. Even if it's Biden, uh, people are going to come back. If it's Biden-Trump, Democrats are going to come out again. But they're going to they're already have lost that significant portion of the Republican electorate that doesn't like banning abortion and doesn't like their elected officials um, trying to, you know, cozying up to like dictators and stuff. And you know, there's this whole like pro-Putin element on the right now and pro-Orban and, and Hungary. Like they just, they like these authoritarians. And turns out moderate Republican swing voters in the suburbs don't like any of that stuff at all. And they came out and they voted for Democrats. So I, I'm as puzzled as you are that that these people cannot bring themselves to make adjustments to their strategy. Uh, they think that the extremism is working because they took, you know, they like barely took a House of Congress back. Um, but it's not, it's not working for them. You know, if you, if you think about the last, what is it, 16, 18, 20, the last four national elections have actually been like, quite bad for Republicans. <laughs> you know, uh, Trump lost the popular vote by millions. Um, every three cycles, Republicans get like absolutely annihilated by the popular vote in the Senate. Um, they, they barely won the popular vote for the house with a president at 40% approval and uh, inflation through the roof. And, uh, you know, material conditions that should have led to a Republican wave um, didn't didn't materialize, and they can't have this conversation with themselves because a they still there's still conspiracy theories shot through all of their thinking. You know, they're like, well, if it wasn't for Twitter, you know, if they just if they if they just they, they well, Merrick, Merrick Garland knew about the boxes in Biden's garage in November and they buried the story, and if they hadn't buried the story, we would have won. Yeah. So why why should we change? You know, yeah. that's what it's like. Uh, yeah. You can't admit they're wrong. <laughs> we're we're too quick to admit that we're you know to think that we're wrong about something. Like I think we're too quick to uh, overinterpret the, the the results of a single election, uh, aka twenty sixteen, and be like, yeah, I think what we need to do is abandon all the people that vote for us and just try to woo those 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 white voters in uh, in Peoria. That's the ticket right there. Um, but Republicans are are too far on the other end of the spectrum, which is, I don't think they've done an autopsy on any election since twenty twelve. You know, they did that famous autopsy after Obama was reelected. That was like, what if we were less hostile to Latinos? <laughs> Maybe we would win more. Um, yeah. And not only did they not do that, um, they, they somehow increased their vote share with Latinos. And they, now they think they're like a bunch of geniuses because they had like a like a two cycle increase in their share of the Latino vote. Um, and so it's just, just impossible to convince them that some of the things they're doing are alienating people. Yeah. Another thing. Sorry. <laughs> Okay. Is it, just to return to the theme of like young voters um, who also clobbered Republicans in this election, what really should concern Republicans about that, I wrote this in my book in 2020, is that throughout post-World War II history, there was a very clear linkage between um, the, the popularity of the president when people turn 18 and their long-term partisanship. Like a lot of Xers, uh, Generation Xers, uh, were, were just sort of coming into political consciousness when Ronald Reagan was in office and very popular, and they have stuck with Republicans the whole time. What really ought to concern Republicans is that Biden is deeply unpopular. Like, young people hate Joe Biden. <laughs> like, just to be honest. They're just like, what is this, why is this doddering old fool our president? Like, this is ridiculous. Um, but they still turn out, they vote, they voted for him. Um, and, and young people, 18-year-olds, are still like two-to-one Democrats. That stuff's not going away. And I, it, like, that should be like a nine-alarm fire on, on the right that they've alienated young voters and that millennials are still voting against them. And Gen Z is still voting against them, and people turning eighteen are voting against them. Like, when do they th- when do they think that's going to change? I mean, so, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care if they wake up to it. I'm I'm, I'm happy to to beat them. <laughs> well, that yeah, that's the gets back to the whole issue of uh, should Democrats be taking delight in their utter chaos and uh, dysfunction? Uh, 
All right. Uh, you mentioned Biden a couple times. Let's move to the Biden news uh, that's emerged in the uh, the first few weeks of the new year. Uh, and it turns out that Joe Biden has a stash of uh, internal government documents uh, in his garage. <laughs> I mean, I read this stuff, uh, David, and I'm like, are they making this up? I mean, between Mayor Lori Lightfoot, Pete, sending out <laughs> offering teachers extra credit their kids extra credit to, to work for Lori light but like that's pretty bizarre uh the uh, gas stove gate and gas stove moms that's pretty bizarre but then look it's it's straight out of the onion that in his garage he has these documents and so now uh there's a special counsel has already been appointed to investigate it. So now we have two special counsels, one investigating Donald Trump's, the, the internal documents that he had in uh, the basement of Mar-a-Lago. And now we got the, uh, the uh, other one that, about uh, the, the papers in Joe Biden's garage. So this gets to the, oh, my God, we're stuck with Joe Biden. <laughs> Part of the equation. Help me out here, David. Make sense of, of what's going on here with Joe Biden putting these documents, taking these documents out of the White House or wherever they were, because he was this is from his days as vice president, and then somehow finding their way to his garage. Go ahead. So I can't tell you what's going on because we don't know. Um, I haven't seen any details about exactly what they found in there. Um, but my my bigger thought about this is, one, it's not great, right? <laughs> It's not great that there's a special counsel out there investigating the president now, because as we know from history, special counsels tend to, to get their papers and then they're like, well, what if I looked into this other thing too? Wouldn't that be fun? Um, so it could just lead to like this endless investigation. Like that's how, that's how Lewinsky happened. Right. Um, they said that they set up a special counsel for, um, what was it? Whitewater. Um, and then, you know, by chain of transmission that eventually landed on investigating the president's, um, Oh, what do we used to call it? Peccadillos, you know, uh, whatever. So it's not good uh, on any, in any sense that there's a special counsel investigating Biden. Um, I'm also just wondering, have any of these people ever moved before? Um, you know, just stand outside with the movers with a checklist and be like, leave the classified documents. You know, it's like, it doesn't seem like it would be that hard, especially this is the thing that's so shocking to me about Biden having any classified documents anywhere is that classified document management was what the 2016 election revolved around and the reason that Clinton wasn't elected president, right? You you, you saw a Democratic candidate get absolutely torpedoed um, by this like uh, bizarre media circus around her, her email server management. Just the dumbest thing, I think, in, in the history of democracy that has ever swung a presidential election, someone's emails. Nevertheless... <laughs> Don't take any documents with you that you're not supposed to have. Have some look. Have someone look it over. Also, why is anyone looking in Joe Biden's garage right now? It seems like this was a voluntary thing. It's not like someone. It's not like Turning Points USA broke in there and was like, "Look what I found in Joe Biden's garage." Like they seem to be doing it voluntarily. It's like you just voluntarily. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's really mystifying to me, Ben. Um, and I would be shocked if there was anything that was a malevolent intent in taking the documents with them. Um, you say what you will about Joe Biden. I, I just don't think he has it in him. To, they're like, it was for Hunt, you know, Hunter was Hunter in his garage? Was Hunter in his garage when he was, you know, s selling things to China? And I'm like, there's just no way that like his cocaine addled son called him up and was like, Dad, 
Um, can you can you bring some classified documents to the garage with you? Uh, I want to look through them and sell them to China. And Joe Biden would be like, "Sure, buddy. Yeah, sure thing, champ. I'll get right on that." You know what I mean? It's, that's not what was going on here. What's going on here was some sort of like senile stupidity, where he took a bunch of stuff with him that he shouldn't have had. I guess we'll find out, right? I mean, we don't even know if, if he did anything wrong. So uh, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Uh, it seems to me like a gigantic waste of time uh, to classify so many things. Uh, and this is a problem inside the federal government. It's it's not something that the left like to talk about during the Mar-a-Lago stuff. Um, but we do overclassify things. You know, um, we, we classify like you know um, emails between the deputy, deputy, deputy secretary of state and 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 like her mom. It's like top secret. <laughs> you know, there's like 800,000 people with a, a security clearance in this country. It's nuts. Um, and uh, if if no one can seem to get to figure out a way uh, to start there, this all this all traces back to Biden's, um, you know, the Penn Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania, where he set up, you know, his uh, his shop after he was after he left office in 2017. Um, you know, they these. <laughs> Look, it's like we have these presidential libraries, right? Uh, we have the vice presidential. The vice presidents go on and they start these institutions or whatever. Um, and they want to have stuff with They take stuff with them. They take documents with them so people can see them. Um, and it, it just seems to me like maybe we should create an office of not stealing classified information after you leave office. Could that be a position in the federal government? Like there's like a person who's like, they just stand there when they're, when they're moving out of the White House. Uh, there's just like a person there with a clipboard just being like, show me all the papers and I'll make sure that you don't take any classified stuff with you. That seems like it would solve the problem to me. I don't know. Um, if, if Joe Biden did this malevolently to, to sell secrets or, or to help Hunter Biden, um, you know, set up, uh, <laughs> uh, set up his like a uh, protein shake operation in Beijing. Um, I'll take it all back. Okay. Maybe he yeah. did, but I doubt it. I, I doubt there's anything well, here. Again, um, again, uh, that's like the theme of the day. So you raise a point, uh, that uh, maybe we go overboard with classified documents. Uh, now, in general, uh, because I've been always on the outside looking in as a journalist all these years looking in, never been in government, uh, I'm always for opening up, as uh, Lori Lightfoot said, and then quickly didn't do, letting in the light. Uh, and uh, so... Oh my God. Uh, yeah. So, I, <laughs> uh, so I'm, I welcome... I welcome all this. I welcome, I, yes, I want to know what documents were in Biden's garage. I want to know how they got there and whether they're worth worrying about. And I wanted to know the same things about Donald Trump. The problem is, and this gets back to the other theme, is that there is no principle on the other side. So Donald Trump, the differences between the Donald Trump document gate and Biden document gate are enormous. And we, you know him, I know him. One guy took tons of them and was asked to return them and then spent, I don't know why, what, upwards of a year resisting. Uh, And then they sent in the FBI to get the documents. The other guy, Biden, voluntarily came forward or his lawyers did and said, we found these documents uh, and uh, here they are. So right there is a huge difference. And yet Republicans are trying to turn 
Biden documents into one of the most horrific uh, Watergates of the 21st century while justifying whatever Trump did and saying the, the government went too far. There's no trace of consistency. There's no principle at stake. It's just blatant defending Trump, no matter what he does, assailing the government, no matter what it does, and then turning right around and calling for an investigation to Biden. So, David, once we're right, we're back where we are with gas stove, the gas stove situation. (laughs) We're going to see a circus now about from the Republicans in Congress about Biden gate with his documents while they are attacking the government for going after Trump for doing the same thing. How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, I think one thing that's going on here is Republicans have become mostly completely shameless about hypocrisy, right? They just don't care. Um, you remember, it was like the focus was on Clinton and her handling of classified information and her, you know, her communication practices. And then, and then Trump brought in his like dumb son-in-law and then the rest of his family into the White House and they all like messaged each other classified information on WhatsApp. I mean, do you remember when Trump was down in Mar-a-Lago like uh, um, launching a strike on Syria while he, while he was like t- chatting with the Japanese prime minister um, and just like a bunch of like random millionaire ding-dongs are just sitting there watching the president of the United States on his phone order a military strike. It, it, like the, the, what, what to me separates me from a Republican psychologically, okay? I'm not above partisanship, right? Like I'm not above uh, cognitive bias and motivated reasoning and uh, and focusing on things here and there that I shouldn't focus on. Like, like I'm, we're all human beings, right? But I actually think that Democrats are actually it's got a little bit uncomfortable with hypocrisy, right? Like, I think when the Biden <laughs> classified document story hit, a lot of Democrats were like, well, <laughs> that's not good, right? Um, whereas Republicans at the time, like when Trump was doing all that stuff, they were just like, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> What uh, what do you mean the 2016 election revolved around precisely this issue that we're that we're flouting right now? Uh, that's crazy talk. You're a crazy person. You know uh, they just gaslight us, and um, and we we can't do that. No, we're just we're not capable of it. So um, so we have to you know, but we do have to highlight the differences here, right? Like I don't I never cared if Trump like accidentally took a box of classified documents with him if there was no intent to share them with someone. Like who would care about that, right? Um, someone made it. Someone made an honest mistake. Um, you know, someone ordered the mover to take the wrong box or whatever. Again, person with a clipboard. Um, what what flipped everybody out about the classified document stuff was one. Donald Trump tried to overthrow the American government in December and January uh, after the election. Uh, you know, uh, wanted to know whether there were classified documents related to that effort to to perpetrate a coup and to destroy American democracy. I wanted to know. <laughs> uh, there was talk of like top secret nuclear documents that, like, you know, you really don't want hanging out in the former president's garage. Um, and so, but but if there was just some overclassified nonsense in in Trump's basement, I wouldn't care about that. I you know I don't think the FBI would care about that. The, the National Archives would come and be like, all right, we'll take this, thanks. Um, and the fact that he did, as you know, resisted it for a year, actually had to have like negotiations. Um, with the National Archives and the FBI, there was this whole process where they're trying to get him to give up the documents. He wouldn't do it. Um, and here we are. Not only would we give up the documents immediately, we're such good, obedient institutionalists that Merrick Garland was immediately, it took him like a year. <laughs> it took him two years to set up a special counsel for Trump. And like five minutes of, of them finding the documents in the garage, Garland was like, I've got to do a special counsel. 
that's I don't well, don't want to appear to be biased. Um, and you know what? He's right, right? Like he's right. Uh, I I don't like it, um, but that's what he said. There's going to be an investigation of the president. Uh, the the attorney general who was appointed by the president should not be the one investigating him. Right? That's a principle that we actually should should care about. Um, now, but it's like, but but it's again, it goes back to the like we're the only ones playing this game, right? Like you were. The other side is bringing a machine gun, um, and we're like, you know, machine guns are not allowed in this room. Uh, so, sorry, I didn't bring one. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, uh, I, that so, that uh, that point, that last point is uh, the one that just kind of irritates. And uh, you know, the the Chicago journalist to me, uh, well, oh yeah, let's bring, you know, let's, yeah, let's, let's investigate the Biden document gate. Let's see everything. He's, you know, let's see uh, how they ended up in his garage, the whole bit. I want to know. Yeah. Special counsel. But then when the other side doesn't play it that way, you know, uh, the other side, they're outraged at Michael Madigan, the speaker of the house, uh, in, uh, in his power that he wielded, Mike Bost made a big deal out of it when he was a state rep, goes to Congress uh, and just looks the other way at Donald Trump trampling on all our rights. Uh, just the utter blatant hypocrisy of it. Uh, it's, it's really hard to take after a while. And yeah, the Democrats play the game like it's legit. They play like we must have a special. Con- These are the rules that we follow. Republicans don't do that. And you're right. It's sort of like, well, you know, we play the games like we're playing tennis with a net. They play tennis like there's no net. So it's easier to play tennis without a net, let me tell you that, or out-of-bound lines, you know? Right. Or they brought four people to a two-person tennis match, and they're just like, well, that's how we play now. You know, you suckers want to just use one person. That's up to you. Yeah. Um, yeah you know what I think so. about when I think about this sometimes is like uh, like the Blagojevich stuff. You, you remember? Well, of course you remember. You know, dude tried to sell a Senate seat, right? Um, and immediately, within like six seconds of that news coming out, he was like dead to every Democrat in the state. You know, they were like, well, that's, you can't do that. You know, get out of office, scumbag. I um, mean, you think about how, like how a Republican or Republican, even Republican voters would react to that right now. They'd just be like, well, yeah, I mean, everybody sells Senate seats, right? Like, what's the big deal? <laughs> so, well, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you right now, um, I, w- this, I was talking about this in an earlier show, uh, the story out of, um, Nebraska. Where uh, follow me in this, uh, the current governor, uh, whose name at the moment escapes me, uh, had a, a vacancy, a Senate vacancy to fill because Ben Sassy, is that how he pronounces his name? Uh, you made fun of him once uh, on the sh- or twice on the show, decided he wanted to become president of the University of Florida. Uh, so the government, uh, Governor uh, Pilon, I think his name is, uh, appointed his predecessor, Pete Ricketts, to fill the Senate seat. And Pete Ricketts uh, had donated over a million dollars to various campaign funds that helped Governor uh, Pillen. And so <laughs> I'm like, if I'm Rob Bogoyevich, I'm really upset right now. The guy's got went to 14 years in prison, you know, uh, and this they're like patting each other on the back and just ignoring it. So, yeah, no, it's still a very relevant issue. Uh, they have higher standards in Illinois, ladies and gentlemen. You make fun of Illinois corruption and politics. We have higher standards than they do in Nebraska. Right. When people commit crimes in Illinois, they, they get punished for it. You can argue that too many crimes get committed, <laughs> but we don't just let people skate for it. Um, one last thing about Ben Sass. 
as long as we're making fun of him, um, is, uh, you know, he basically left the Senate because he couldn't deal with all the extremists and weirdos in his party. Um, and then his next move is to go work for Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Like, I'm, tired of, <laughs> I'm tired of the extremism in our politics. Let me go work for the most extreme person in America, Ron DeSantis. Okay, man. Sure. All right. That's so fine. We'll, we'll close with this existential question that I actually was thinking about the other day when I went for a walk. So uh, there's an election. You have a uh, choice between two candidates, and you have to vote in this election. You can have vote for any other candidate who's not on the, uh, uh, on the, uh, the, the ballot, and you have to vote. Your choice is Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump. Who do you vote for? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would spontaneously combust. Um, <laughs> I would vote for DeSantis, honestly, because I, I just... I can't I can't deal with four more years of Trump. I can I can deal with like this idiotic stuntman um DeSantis and his like stupid antics and four years of like obsession about they them and whatever people are teaching in college and uh the the incessant culture war. Um I I I can't take four more years of the president almost getting us killed on Twitter um because he calls the he told the Korean leader that he has a small penis. I can't take that anymore. Um yeah. <laughs> the it's like either one of them will be quite bad, right? DeSantis will, may very well get more done. But what I'm worried about, you know, I mean, get more like bad things done policy-wise because he's he's not as much, he's not an idiot like Trump is, right? He's he's an idiot in other ways, but he's not inept at at the core responsibilities of the job that he's seeking. Um to me the tail risks, you know what I mean? The tail risks of a Trump presidency are so much worse than a DeSantis presidency that I will take four years of DeSantis over, over four years of Trump. Because I don't think that DeSantis is going to usher in the end of democracy. I don't think he's going to start a nuclear war capriciously. Um, Trump is getting older and older. He's crazier and crazier. He's more impulsive. He like tweets out QAnon stuff. I mean, he is deep in the well of, of, uh, of stuff that's really dangerous, you know? And I honestly think that, that DeSantis is sort of playing a bit um, and that there are... I think that there are lines that DeSantis won't cross as president of the United States. Um, and I don't think there are, there are no lines. There are simply no lines that Donald Trump won't cross. And I, I just, I can't deal with former years that I just can't. I, I, I would actually, I'm right. I, right now I'm leaning toward Trump uh, on this question. And uh, I, this is probably a show we should do later because we're running out of time for this one. I'll just say this. Uh, Trump accomplished a lot when he was president, none of which I agreed. He accomplished a lot in terms of taxes, uh, changing uh, the, the system so that uh, the wealthier you are, the less you paid. So that raised all of our taxes who weren't exceeding wealthy. He changed uh, immensely the Supreme Court and the judicial system with its appointees, uh, which he was very effective uh, at manipulating. He changed the environmental. Uh, he t- we set, set us back uh, on um, uh, climate change. So I can't imagine what DeSantis would accomplish that Trump didn't already accomplish. Uh, and uh, that said, there's a comic element to Trump that is completely absent with Trump. <laughs> I know, I know. Donald Trump in his own way is kind of a funny guy. I mean, yes. it's weird, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, it's, I could see uh, you make a compelling point, so maybe I'll rethink it. And <laughs> thank goodness. 
by let's the way. Just hope that we, let's just hope it never comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> I've had let's moments say. like that on, on the local level, facing on aldermanic races, I could tell you, mm-hmm. all right, on a local level, comparable. <laughs> what do I do? I got to do something. Or yeah, or if like some right-winger gets through and it's like light foot against a right-winger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because uh, I, I will crawl against a whole other. That's a whole other. We're trying to right now. The, that's a whole other discussion. Uh, but the, yeah, the lanes to the runoff could very much uh, have uh, Lori Lightfoot representing the left. <laughs> oh my goodness! Kill me! Uh, I voted for it twice too. And just not. We're not getting to three. Let me put it to you that way. <laughs> like I would uh, crawl across molten lava to vote against her. Uh, that's as good a spot as any to uh, leave the show. David Ferris, thank you very much. For, Thanks for uh, having me, Ben. We'll talk soon. All right, very good. That's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.